It's good to be here. My name is Jesse. If you've never seen me before, they didn't just find me on the street. <laughs> well, kind of did, but <laughs> no, I've been around a lot. Uh, I have my wife, Nikki, and we have five sons, five whole boys. Well, mostly whole. Usually something's broken or bleeding, but it's another story. Um, and uh, Pastor Brett and myself have been friends for, well, a few years now, and so I'm just giving you a little bit of background for some, I see some unfamiliar faces, so hello. While I was trying to work out the sermon at midnight last night and Jaden's messaging me to play PUBG, I, uh, <laughs> this all came together, so here we go. <laughs> you know, sometimes people freak out when I say something like that because you're like, you didn't prepare for a month for this sermon? I'm always preparing. Okay? It's always a preparation in my heart going on. It's sometimes when you put the verses together and stuff, that's almost like secondary to really what I love to speak about and will always speak about is the condition of our heart. Because God, yes, He loves us, and we'll get into a lot so you can feel good about yourself in a little bit, but <laughs> really, He's really interested in what goes on under the surface. Hey, I've been in church a long time. I know how to act. I know when to stand up. I know when to sit down. I know when to raise my hands. I know when to shout. I know when to close my eyes to pray. I know how to act. I know how to do those things. And I did it for a long, long time. No one could tell on the surface anything was going on. But in reality, there was a shaking going on in me. Trying to produce something good. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you once again for everyone that's gathered here today. And I just, again, ask that you would speak to us. That you would allow us to open our hearts up to you. I really feel I'm supposed to double down on asking that right now. Because sometimes, I, I, I maybe, maybe you're sitting there and like, I'm not sure about opening this up. I just, I really encourage you. That God knows you better than you know yourself. And when he opens us up, yes, it can be painful at times. But he will put you back together. I promise you. Amen. All right. This, this series title is called Let's Go. And, uh, you know, when I first started coming to Engage, they had series. And I never had series before. I didn't know what series a series was. Well, I kind of did. But, because I had Netflix. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I like the series idea because you kind of get to go on a theme and you get to really, really dive down deeply in it. So where, you know, Pastor Brad or Pastor Jeremy would talk about let's go, you're going to hear me now talk about my angle on let's go. So it's, it's let's go, let's do this. The scripture for this is Matthew 28, verse 18 and 20. I'll read it. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples or apprentices of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How many times do you feel like, I don't know where Jesus is in this scenario right now. I feel like he's pretty far away. Well, you can rest easy because he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, 
Jesus came up to the disciples, and if you know the story, and we've read the story a few, over the last few weeks, but, you know, the disciples are fishing before they're even disciples. They're just fishermen at this point. And they had been fishing all night long, and they caught nothing, nothing at all. So Jesus comes up on the beach, and he says, hey, guys, head back out there, throw your nets on the other side of the boat, like that makes a difference, and you'll be fine. And so they're like, oh, whatever. But this guy seems important. He's dressed up like a rabbi, which, again, back in the day, they didn't, like, look like this. They, <laughs> they didn't have ripped jeans. They, <laughs> they wore a certain, like, gown kind of thing. So the rabbis were distinguishable. You knew that the guy was important. Now, Jesus didn't go around saying he was important to everybody, but you could tell this guy's important. And so the fishermen, being talked to by a rabbi, which most wouldn't even have done that, you're like, well, we better listen to this guy. And so they head out to the water and throw their nets on the other side of the boat. And lo and behold, boom, fish. So much so that people need to come and bring, help them bring in the fish. Now, Jesus says, okay, great. Now, leave your nets. Come follow me. That was pretty profound. And maybe, you, you know, we hear that all the time. And we're like, oh, that's cool. Like, it's neat how he did that. But I don't think we really understand the severity of that statement that he said to them. Let me explain something to you. Back in the Jewish culture of the time, there was a school, so to speak. And that school was very much all about the Bible. When, and this was only for the men. Sorry, girls. Mm. <laughs> it was a different era. I didn't make the rules then, okay? You would be invited to my school. Thank you. But all the little boys ran off to school, and over the, a little while, till they were about, I don't know, it was like five or six or seven, something like that, they learned and memorized the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Memorized it and could write it down. You know, seven-year-old kid. Whew. Now, not all of them could do it, Okay. So it wasn't like even little Johnny that was 10th place got a pass. They failed people back then. So it's a joke, guys. Come on. Any parent knows what I'm talking about. You're like, you got a pass? You didn't even get like four of these right. Anyway, so <laughs> you get, no one's laughing because they all got passed all the way through. <laughs> but some of them didn't make it. And so the rabbi would come to the little kid and said, well, you know, you know, you, maybe you should go and learn the trade of your father. And so, at seven years old, they go and become a carpenter or a fisherman. Whatever their dad did, they did it too. That's how it worked. But the best of the best of the seven-year-olds got to go to stage two. And for the next ten years or so of their life, they would learn and memorize and be able to write down the entirety of the Old Testament. And... So precisely that even if they made one mess up on punctuation at the very last sentence of the very last book, they had to throw it all away and start over again. That's how serious this was. This wasn't a joke. This was the best of the best. And if those ones were the best of the best, they'd have a draft, so to speak. Fantasy sports people here know what I'm talking about? Having the draft... Well, the rabbis would get together and have a draft picking the best kids. 
So all these 18-year-olds, 17, 18-year-olds would line up and, uh, you can come with me, you can come with me, you can come with me. And the rest, they'd say, hey, sorry, go learn the trade of your father. And they'd become fishermen or whatever. But the best of the best got to become followers of a certain rabbi. And during that time, roughly another uh, from 1718 to about 30, they learned everything that rabbi knew. And what that was called in the day was a yoke. Like the thing that you put on the ox that plows the field. It was called a yoke. So a rabbi's, what he, the angle he saw the scriptures at, what he felt about the scriptures, the way he taught about the scriptures, it was called his yoke. And you would learn over the next whatever many years about that yoke, and you would pick it up as your own, and then one day, it would be time for that person to become a rabbi. But if you couldn't, the rabbi would come to you and say, you know, you've been doing this your whole life, but we feel it's time for you to go and learn the trade of your father. And they become fishermen or carpenters or whatever it was. The best of the best of the best were the only ones that got to become the rabbis, that got to follow and to follow a teacher was a very high, prestigious reward. Like the movie stars and Instagram influencers we have today, the rabbis were that cool. <laughs> and so when Jesus comes to the shores of the beach to fishermen that can't read or write, that probably dropped out when they were seven years old when the rabbi came and said, yeah, you better go learn the trade of your father, it was pretty impressive that the rabbi asked them to come follow me. Because they weren't the best of the best. They weren't the cream of the crop. They weren't the ones that made it through all the stages of school. They were just the guys that were learning to fish and to be carpenters. And really, in the society, nobody Now we're sitting here today, a room full of people. And God chose you. God said, I choose you. In fact, he went so far to say, even while you were still a sinner, I chose you. And so you're not the cream of the crop, and it doesn't matter. <laughs> the, real, the reality is, is that you've been chosen no matter what. No matter what you've gone through in the past, no matter what you're going through right now, where you are at, God chose you, and you are now the cream of the crop. So at this point, I could rah-rah you up and hype you up and high-five each other, and we go, go home happy. But I'm not going to do that, because that's not how I roll. Because <laughs> it isn't sometimes the reality, because sometimes the reality is God's looking for something deeper. God's looking for something a lot deeper. There is a discipleship that, yes, we bring people through. Teach them about God, teach them about scriptures, teach them how to pray, teach them about all that stuff. But there's a personal discipleship, an individual discipleship that God is currently bringing you as an individual through. And that journey is the journey of life. That journey that you're on right now is the one that God is trying to produce something great from. And you're like, wow, I know really what's in my life. <laughs> I can't imagine him doing anything good in this. I've said that many times over myself. 
wow, I'm, he going to plant something good out of this dirt? I don't know. But that's what he wants to do. There was a time in my life when I was a young man like Gavin. <laughs> I didn't have a cool mustache like that. I couldn't grow one then, believe it or not. And then all of a sudden this happened. <clears throat> I was newly married. We are married, me and Nikki were married probably for a few months only. And uh, we met at a Bible camp on Vancouver Island. Uh, got married. And I literally at the time thought I was going to be the world's premier preacher in a white suit waving over crowds as they fell under the power of God. <laughs> I seriously thought this, guys, for a long time. I really did. My motive was, I mean, my, my thought process was, yeah, it'll be awesome. God will get so much glory. It'll be great. Sweet. So me and Nikki newly married. We're at camp again. And this week, it was like this amalgamation of like all like the hottest, most important preachers around that were gathered at this camp and they're like very prophetic people and like super like like important dudes and men and women in in the faith and you're like whoa this is awesome and the very last night in the very last service they had a big prayer line so they all stood up the front and they wanted to pray for everybody that came and I'm like this is my moment the heavens are about to open over me Doves are about to fly over, out of my outstretched arms, light beams shooting out. This is my son who I am well pleased. And everyone will know the anointing on my life. It's going to be awesome. And so I made Nikki stand at the back of the line with me for three hours while they prayed for everybody else. And I'm like, I'm so jacked up the whole time. Three hours. I'm praying. I'm like, God, this is amazing, thank you for doing this. It's like, I'm just so excited about like, this being the moment when everyone knows how important I am. And the three hours go by and we get up. We're the, literally the last people. We get up to the front of the people and me and Nikki are holding hands. And the guy in the middle grabs our hands. He's like, God says to work on this marriage and the rest will come. And he looks down one side and everyone else goes, and he looks down the other way, and everyone's like, and he's like, all right. I was crushed. I was devastated. Are you kidding me? I waited three hours for this. I waited so, I, this was the moment that everyone was supposed to know who I was supposed to be. And God revealed something very wrong in my heart. There's a scripture that says, be careful that the light you hold on to isn't actually darkness because how strong will that darkness become? I thought at the time that this was something great. This is an awesome thing I'm holding on to. God is going to use me so amazingly throughout the earth that he's going to announce it to everybody here just so they know. <laughs> My motive was not pure. Let me say that. <laughs> My motive was not pure at all. It was actually quite ugly. But what I was holding on to, which I thought was light, was actually darkness. And it, because I was holding on to it so strongly, I allowed it to go very deep into my heart. And as God pulled that root out, I realized how deep it actually went. I went to the very fabric 
of the foundation of my entire belief system. And I was rattled, rattled to my core. I'd like to say that was the only time that happened, but it wasn't. Sometimes I need good swift kicks on the side of the head. A lot of, actually, every time. Another time I was driving uh, with my senior pastor from the last church, actually Jaden's dad. And uh, we're driving, just, I think I forget where we're going, we're driving somewhere. And at the time, I had become this amazingly renowned critic of all movies and food. It's a joke, come on. <laughs> I was so good at telling, saying why things were good or bad and what made them good and bad, and everybody knew it, and I made sure everybody knew it, and if they didn't agree with my opinion, they were an idiot. And so he was drinking a Tim Hortons coffee, and he's like, oh, I just love Tim Hortons. And I'm like, ugh, gross. And he's like, why do you do that? I'm like, what? And he's like, every time someone enjoys something, you shoot it down. And that's all he said. And I was like, what? What the heck are you talking about? He said, one day, you're going to be telling, speaking the truth, and people are going to look at you and say, well, that's just Jesse's opinion. Oh, that rattled me. He didn't know how deep it went, but that shook me for months. Months and months, I was, I was, I was broken. Because I realized my whole motive was wrong. I thought it was light. I thought it was good. How deep. So when he pulls out that root, I was surprised at how deep it went. You know, there's actually something that happens with dogs. Once we had a dog, and then we had five children, and realized we had enough animals in the house, so we didn't have a dog anymore. And then, <laughs> so I trained this little puppy because every animal wants to be like the alpha whatever in your house. It wants to eat you. That's why the little yappy dogs are mean. Is because they've actually asserted their dominance over the humans that live there. I watched a lot of Dog Whisperer growing up. And I now have Disney Plus so I can watch it again. Because <laughs> it's on there. And <laughs> yes, I bought a year subscription. But I don't even like half the shows on there. I don't even know why I did it. But anyway, I can watch the Dog Whisperer, I guess. But I watched Dog Whisperer. And so... I was watching one day, and he was explaining. So I have this dog, and he's getting, like, aggressive with the kids, and then me. And so I broke him. Now, I didn't hit him. <laughs> but I grabbed him by the neck, held him on the ground until he submitted. And he fought. But I didn't move. I just held him. And eventually, he just went, okay, you win. And I let him up. He's like, but what happened was he started shaking. And I watched the dog whisper, and it's because every time they get reprogrammed, every time they realize that someone else bigger than them is in control, they shake. Weird, eh? So when God comes and speaks to you and reveals that he is the one that is bigger and that is in control, it feels like shaking. You shake because you realize, wow, something's bigger than me. Now, there's something else that causes us to shake as well, and that's fear. Fear can cause us to shake, and if you've ever given in to fear, you've actually put faith into fear. That's what happens. When we have fear in life and we're afraid of something, it actually means to give power to that thing. And fear can actually make you shake. Why? Because it's actually reprogramming who you are. 
and how you respond to certain situations is based on the belief system you have. And because you now give yourself to fear, you are now more likely to respond a certain way because I am now under the control of something bigger than myself. Weird, eh? This is how it works. But there's something that actually counteracts fear, which is awesome. Because you think fear, I mean fear, and I talk to a lot of people about this, especially young people. Uh, I teach a program called Heroes in a lot of schools. Uh, oh yeah. Oh, I should say this. I'm going to put you on the spot. She was one of the, she was actually the first class that I taught. Now, wait. I don't want to go too deep, but I always felt about you that there was a lot of darkness. And I, was, I remember, Jose, like I, I remember, like this is a girl that's surrounded by darkness. And I was like, I don't know if anything can actually ever pull her out. Like I don't, like at the time, me not having the, the level of faith, I honestly felt like maybe she's lost. And then when I came here and saw her and see her where she is today, God is great. The, the person that I thought, honestly, could not be saved is sitting here today. That's incredible. That shows me that fear can't win. I know it is powerful. I know it grabs us. I know it pulls us down. I know it wheels weaves its way into the places that you don't want it to go and it just gets in there. But I'm telling you right now, if we open ourselves up to God's love, perfect love casts out all fear. And the darkness that you're surrounded by will not be darkness anymore because his love breaks it. That's what happens. And so yes, I know the journey is difficult. I, there's times I despise the journey. It's horrible. How can this be happening to me? I've had some pretty crazy things happen. How can this be? How? Why do I have to go through this? Because I'm trying to produce something incredible out of the ashes. If you allow me to come and burn, this is God speaking, if you allow me to come and burn, burn the root system out, and you clean up all those ashes and you dump it in a pile. And you think, well, that's what's good for that. God's like, I'm going to make something beautiful grow out of it. That's what happens. And so someone like Jose sitting here today is a reminder for all of us that no matter where we are at. And I don't know all of your story, but I imagine it was, you were in the, in the dark hole for a while. And it's not all perfect all the time either, don't get me wrong. But at least there's hope. At least there's hope. And you're allowed to hope. I, 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 there's another thing wrong with me. <laughs> I love sports. Like, I deeply love sports. Like, now I'm all about the Seahawks, and I love the Seahawks so much. And when they lose, I am devastated. And I, <laughs> but I would pass it off. I'd pass off things like if there's a big game coming up, I would like pretend like it didn't matter to me. But really, under the surface, it matters. It matters to me a lot. But it was because I was so afraid of putting my hope out there and having it broken. There's actually a verse about that too. An answered prayer is like the tree of life. 
an answered prayer, an answered hopeful situation is like the tree of life. It just produces fruit. And so a lot of the time I find when I talk to people in the dark place is that there's no hope. I have no hope. I, I don't know. Every time I put hope out there like a fishing lure thing, it comes up empty. It comes up, there's nothing. And then we remember the story of the, the, the fishermen on the beach when they fished all night long and it came up empty. And then it took something that Jesus said to get them to have a harvest. Go out there and throw it on the other side. Do something else. Do something different. And when they came back into the shore, and here's the real thing. We've glossed over this a lot. He said, yes, follow me. That was good. He said, leave your nets behind and follow me. Leave everything behind and follow me. You have to understand at the time, this was all they had. If they didn't fish, if they didn't go out there every single day and work all hours of the night fishing, they would all die and their family would die. There wasn't a governmental system to set up to save them all. That's why there's so many beggars and poor people everywhere. It's because no one was there to help. And so by leaving everything behind, said, you better have a good reason. You better have some sort of backup plan. But there wasn't that offered. All they knew was this guy told us to fish off the other side of the boat. This amazing thing happened. And now we're following him. A lot of time when I talk to people with no hope, it's because they can't remember the last time God showed up. Think about that for a second. See, all across this room, I want you to think about the last time God showed up. You might have to go all the way back to the time you got saved. But even if that's the marker, even if that's how far back you have to go, you can't go further back. It's the darkest times of my life and the darkest pits of despair. When I, I backtrack, I'm like, oh, God, where have you been? Where have you been? Where have you been? Where have you been? I bump up to that time that he dramatically saved me, pulled me out of the pit, and I say, I know that time for sure you were there. Now I'm going to start walking forward again. If you forget those times, it's going to be really hard to have hope again. And that's why it's so important when God encounters us, and I tell the stories about, you know, the, me getting prayed for, the time in the car, and I have countless other times where things have happened. But I tell those stories because they're markers in my life. Saying God showed up and dramatically changed me so that I could do something amazing. What is that thing? Become a vessel that could reflect his love more clearly. It's one thing going and telling your neighbors about everything, and you should do that stuff. You should love your family. You should love people around you. And that is a good thing. But again, sometimes we can act through that. There's something deeper God is after, and it is being a true reflection of Christ on the earth. You don't have to be discouraged in this. And sometimes you're like, well, man, this, you made this journey sound horrible. When I got saved, everyone told me it was going to be great and wonderful, and all these awesome things are going to happen, and... As far as I can tell, it's been pretty bad. <laughs> because we forget quickly the good things. 
But we also need to remember that God encourages us constantly. Romans 5, 1 to 5 says this. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where I now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. Listen to me. This hope will not lead to disappointment where you've been disappointed a thousand times before. I'm telling you, this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us. He chose you when you weren't the best. He chose you when you were a sinner. He chose you when you were the furthest place away. He decided to choose you because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts People, I know the journey can seem brutal at times. I know it can seem like there's no hope because you're in the midst of the valley and you can't see the mountaintop anyway. It's foggy down there and dirty. He never asked you to read the future. He never asked you to, to figure out tomorrow before today. He just said, do this one step at a time and worry about today because tomorrow worries about itself. Just know that your faith in me, in my promise, in my word, in my love, will pull you closer and closer to the mountaintop. There is a promised land waiting. I believe it. And whether I see that now on the earth or in heaven, it doesn't really matter to me because it is set up already. And wherever it's time to see that place, will be the right time. And whatever I have to go through along the way to get there, God, I humble myself to your will. I submit myself to your plan. I bow down and say, let your will be done in my life. And if we say yes, if we just say yes, he'll take you by the hand and lead you into the destiny and the promise that he has already established for you.